you, Heather. Um, do have notes tonight. If you didn't get notes, if you would raise your hand, and Corbin will get them for you um, since he's here, and he needs notes as well. We're going to let him take care of that. <clears throat> so if you need notes, raise your hand. He'll get them out for you. And uh, we're going to be in the book of 1 John tonight. Uh, we're continuing our series on confidence. And uh, we've got, I think, two more left in this series that I've wrote out. And so um, talking about confidence, we've talked about fellowship, we've talked about forgiveness, we've talked about God's love. And tonight we're going to be talking about discernment and confidence through discernment and how we can be discerning in our Christian walk. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to go to 1 John 4. We're going to pick up where we left off last week, last Sunday night. Um, I told my wife, I said, uh, I'll let you guys, I kept you guys a little long this morning, so I'll give you some time back tonight, and I'll let you out a little early tonight. And so I'll keep, I won't keep you quite as long on a Sunday night. Uh, but John 4, verses 1 through 6, anybody else? I think I ran out of notes. I'm sorry, I printed two few. If you if I didn't get one, I'm sorry. Share with your neighbor if you can. Uh, but we'll stand up and and stretch your legs just one more time before we get into the message. So 1 John 4, 1 through 6. We'll read this, and if you don't have your Bible, it's on the screen as well. <clears throat> but it says this, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God. Because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye that the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesseth that Jesus is coming, that it is come in the flesh, is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of the Antichrist, whereof we have heard that it should come, and even now is already in the world. Ye are of God, little children. And have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world, uh, therefore speak of the world, and they, uh, and the he, and I'm sorry, and the world hear them. In verse six, we are we are of God, and he knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we that the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So let us pray. Father, thank you for this time. I pray that you would be with the reading of your word. Help us as we go through this thought of discernment and how you would have us to discern the spirits and what is right and what is wrong and what you have given us. We thank you for all these things. In your name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. <clears throat> Since the beginning of time, in all of creation, Satan has battled against God and specifically God's truth. Um, Satan and the spirit of Satan is ultimately the deceiver and causes many people, especially young Christians and even teenagers, all the time to question what God has said and to question God's word. Um, oftentimes, Satan will have a replacement or a substitute for the real thing. Some of us in here, we cannot have real sugar because we're diabetic. You have to have a sugar substitute, correct? Uh, which is Splenda or something else. And so... Satan is that same way. We all love the pure sugar. You cannot deny the taste of pure sugar, especially from sweet tea, from McDonald's or Chick-fil-A. You know when you have had real sugar. My dad, he doesn't use real sugar. So when I go to his house and I pour me a glass of sweet tea 
it leaves this bitter aftertaste in my mouth and I know that it's not real sugar through the taste of it because there's a substitute there and Satan always has a substitute when we look at the very first beginning of scripture with Adam and Eve and we see how God made Adam and Eve imperfect and in a garden he said as Satan came to them and he questioned what God said and he said yea hath God really said this are you really gonna die if this happens and so Adam and Eve were not smart enough or were deceived more likely and thought maybe this is really good maybe God really has something better for me I can be as a God and so they took that and they were deceived and so even in the New Testament that's an Old Testament illustration even in the New Testament no sooner had Jesus left no sooner had the apostles and the disciples began teaching and preaching false teachers began to question and to say did Jesus really raise from the dead did Jesus really do what he said he was going to do or is he just a prophet did he die just as Elijah did just as Moses did and so all of a sudden even in the New Testament we have this and so we have it so much the more of even in Jude it says this in verses 3 and 4 of Jude beloved when I give all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort to you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints for certain men crept in unaware who were before old ordained to this condemnation and then the last part says turning from the grace of God into lasciviousness and so even in that time Paul was writing and he was saying listen there are people who were coming into your churches who were deceiving you who are who are turning the gospel into a moneymaker we're gonna talk about that more but he was giving this command and in 1st John 4 he is giving us this warning of concerning false teacher he is commanding them to use spiritual discernment using the spirit that we talked about this morning that inner man that discerns our life he is saying use that spirit to tell what is right and what is wrong and ultimately to have a defensive fortification inside of us to where we can put our shields up so we can protect ourselves um, and ultimately I mean in the 20th, 20th century in our churches these days our churches are extremely vulnerable more and more churches every time I turn the news on are having some type of attack I hear of a child abduction in a church house and so that's why it's so important it's so vital for us as a church to have protection and to have security and to do background checks and to make sure that we are protecting not only our children but our church as well that's why we have men on our security team that are constantly con protecting us and keeping us safe I mean if the US the United States back when Reagan was president he issued the uh, Star Wars was going on um, not the Star Wars movies but the Star Wars where Russia was sending missiles and we were wanting to have a protection system of our country an early warning system if the Russians were to send a missile we would be able to detect that and shoot that missile out of the air and so I believe it was Reagan am I right with that with Reagan okay I think my history was right sometimes I get it wrong uh, but we wanted an early warning system in that area to be able to protect ourselves because of because of past attacks and we wanted to protect ourselves in future attacks and so um, our warning as Christians comes from God's Word if we're not in God's Word and we do not know God's Word we're not going to be able to be protected from a false teacher 
or to be protected from someone who is deceiving us. So we must read it, we must be into it, so that this word can protect our lives. Um, I was reading the other day of a story of Pearl Harbor, and on December 7th, 1941, we all have heard the story of Pearl Harbor. Um, we know how the Japanese attacked, and we, we don't celebrate. We remember that day in remembrance. But I read a story that there was a radar technician that was on watch that day. And he saw a blip on the radar that early morning, and he called his superior officer. And he said, command, general, sergeant, whatever, whoever you are, there is a blip on my radar screen. I'm concerned because it's early and this isn't a normal thing. And his commanding officer said, don't worry about it. It's probably just some supply planes coming in to deliver some supplies. So there was someone that saw what was going on, that saw the attack about to happen, but someone wasn't discerned enough to actually look into it and said it should be okay. And too many times us as Christians, we hear things, we see things, and we think, well, maybe this is probably good, and we don't have our defenses up and our defenses ready. And so we have to understand we are in a spiritual battle raging every single day. Ephesians 6.12 says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. The Bible also says in 1 John, we just read it, that we must try the spirits. We must test the spirits. We must prove the spirits and be careful of what we are consuming. In 1 Thessalonians 5.21, it says, prove all things. We must prove all things. And ultimately it says, to hold fast to that which is good. We've got to check everything. And we are in a fact-check society. If we say something, I've got teenagers in this room that are going to fact-check me. They're going to say, you're probably not right on that. And if I messed up on a quote from Pearl Harbor, they're going to come and they're going to tell me that you were wrong on that. Because we're in a fact-check society. So it, it keeps me honest because I have to make sure that when I preach and when I teach God's word and when I say something, it's true. But at the same time, we have to prove all things. We can't just trust that if Pastor Mitch tells us something, it's true. We should trust it. But we also must be good stewards and look it up and make sure that it's true. Just as if I tell you something, it's good for us to trust what the Bible says over what I say. And so we have to always have that check and balances. When we're in school and we go to our math classes, which we all love math class, right? Every kid in here loves math. And they tell you, prove your answer. Okay, how do you prove your answer? If 2 plus 2 equals 4, how do you prove that 2 plus 2 equals 4? You work by your bubbles, bubbles and lines. You work backwards. So if 2 plus 2 equals 4, 4 minus 2 should equal 2. Okay, so you prove those things. So they teach us this basic essential thing in math in school. And so we should take that same principle and apply it to God's word and prove all things. And so how do we know that we can have confidence through discernment. How do we know these things? The first thing I wrote down here in our notes is we must have the confession of a true believer. A confession of a true believer. If someone is not confessing, and this is the second point right underneath this, so sort of ties hand in hand. If someone does not confess that Jesus is God's son, we cannot trust them because there are people 
that will say that Jesus isn't God's son. He just came into the world to be a good man. But a true believer is clear about Christ's manifestation. In 1 Corinthians 2.12 it says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we may know the things which we have freely given to us of God. The word confess means to say the same thing or to agree. So if I confess something, I'm agreeing that I've done wrong. I'm agreeing that I've sinned in front of God, and I'm saying that I need forgiveness through God's word. So if someone confesses that Jesus is Lord, they're saying that Jesus has come into this world, he's died for their sins, and he is Lord of their life. If they don't do that, then they're not confessing. Then they're not believing that Jesus is that. And ultimately, a confession is agreeing with the Bible. And it's agreeing with what God's word says. In, first, in 2 Corinthians 5, 19, it says, To wit, that God was in Christ. So that statement right there is telling us that God came in Christ. He sent his son through Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses or condemning them because of their trespasses unto them, and hath committed to us the word of reconciliation. Ultimately, Christ came not to condemn the world. The world was already condemned when he came. He came not to say, you've done wrong, but he came to give us forgiveness and to reconcile us back to Christ. Reconcile us back to the Savior. Reconcile us back to God so that we can have that relationship. We have to understand that when we're listening to someone, they have to first and foremost confess that Jesus is God's Son. The second thing here is a true believer hears the truth. A true believer will hear the truth. 1 Corinthians 2.14, Paul says, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolish unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. They do not receive the things of the Spirit. As a young person, as a Christian, we have to understand if a true believer says something, if a preacher stands up, if God's Word says something, and we receive it, and we understand that it's truth, we receive it because the Spirit is joining up with those statements. It, it agrees with our spirit. If it's not of the world, if it's not of truth, then our spirit's going to tell us that. Now, if we can't discern right from wrong, there's one of two things. You're either not saved, because the Holy Spirit's not in you, or you have something that is blocking the Spirit's work. You have something that's blocking God working through your life. And so we have to make sure that as a true believer, we're able to hear the truth. We're able to hear God's word in all things. And we must be spiritually discerned. And a true believer will always hear the truth. Let's look at the second point. Characteristics of a false teacher. Verses 3 through 5 is where we'll be looking here. Characteristics of a false teacher. We'll read these for you real quick just so to remind you. And every spirit that confesseth not of Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And he that is of the spirit of the Antichrist. So it's talking about someone who is not a true believer. Someone who is of Satan. Antichrist. Wherefore you have heard that, it, that he should come and even now is already in the world. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world, therefore speak of the world. And the world heareth them. 
we need to be aware of the reality of false teachers. Um, I was told this in college, and this verse sort of backs it up. Um, it says that every generation has had some worker of Satan to be ready to take the place as the Antichrist. Because the Bible says that no man knoweth the day or the hour that Jesus Christ is going to come back, not even Jesus himself. Jesus himself has withheld that information from him so that the only person that knows when Jesus Christ is going to come back and take his children to heaven is God. So which tells us that Satan himself doesn't know either, which means Satan has to have someone who is working for him in every single generation. So we have to be aware of the reality that there are false teachers out there. There are people that are going to work iniquity. Second Corinthians says this, For such are false apostles, deceiving workers, transforming themselves into the apostle Christ. And no, and no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into the angel of light. Therefore, it is not a great thing if a minister also be transformed, in, transformed as a minister of righteousness whose end work shall be according to their works. We must always be on the watch. We've always got to be vigilant with who we are listening to, whether it be on the radio, whether it be a podcast, whether it be on TV, we always must be discerning of who we are listening to. Second Peter 2 says there are false preachers and people around us, and we should be privy to those heresies of their teaching, even the denying of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they have brought among them a swift destruction. And so I listed five things from Scripture that tell us a characteristic of a false teacher. We'll go through those quickly. The first one is unbiblical content. Okay, this is someone who is giving content that is against the Bible and ultimately against Christ. Someone is saying something and saying that Jesus was once married and had a kid, and the Bible doesn't ever say that Jesus got married and had a kid. That's unbiblical content specifically about Jesus. So that person that's saying that is probably wrong because it doesn't line up with the Bible. 2 John 7 says this, For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. And now, so there's a, I'm going to give a couple, two illustrations here, and we'll move on. Um, one person lately, who is a very prominent leader in Christianity, has recently said, and I believe Pastor Mitch has said this in here recently, that we should unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament. As New Testament believers, we don't need to listen to the Old Testament. Now, last time I checked, 50 to 60% of the New Testament was written from the Old Testament. Jesus quoted most of what he said from the Old Testament. He used the Old Testament to back up what he was saying, and sometimes he quoted verbatim from the Old Testament. So if we're to get rid of the Old Testament, we're going to get rid of half of the New Testament. And so that is someone who is taking their position and taking their, their ability to stand in front of people and speak heresy to people by getting rid of the Old Testament. We don't need to get rid of any part of Scripture. It is all perfect. It is all there without error for us by God. Um, another church, recently I was speaking to a man um, here in Taylorsville, and uh, they, they told me that, and I, I looked it up. I made sure it was true uh, because you've got to prove all things, right? You can't just listen to someone. And it said that there was a church here in Taylorsville that the pastor got up and did a sermon that said, why, what Christians get wrong, when Christians get it wrong, when the Bible gets it wrong. 
and it gave specific areas and specific scriptures that the Bible didn't really say right. And that homosexuality was okay, and it was okay to get an abortion. And he went through and he was saying that the Bible got it wrong and that Christians get it wrong. I'm telling you, that is heresy. And we need to mark those people. We need to be careful of those people that are around us. Because people listen to him. And he is in our community. And people go to that so-called church when he is saying those things. And so we need to make sure we are proving everything. And when it's unbiblical content, when it goes against God's word, that is something that we need to stand firm against. And we need to stand and say, that is not what God wants us to listen to. That is not what God has for me. All right, let's look at the second thing, more acceptance. And verse 5 talks about this. It says, they are of the world, therefore they speak of the world, and the world hears them. Um, and this is not a general, this doesn't classify every large church. Um, but what it's saying here is that the majority of massively large crowds are not an automatic guarantee that the pastor that's preaching in that church is guaranteed speaking truth. And now I do know of some very large churches. We were at a very large church in California, and uh, they ran about thirty or 40,000 on Easter weekend. Very large, very nice campus. God's doing some great things there. But for every one of the churches I found like that in California, I can find a 1,000 churches that run the same number that aren't preaching God's word. And so just because they have a large crowd doesn't guarantee there's biblical truth there. Let's look at this next one, commercialism. Peter talks about it in 2 Peter 2, 3. It says, And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now a long time lingered not, and their damnation slumbered not. This is a church that is exploiting truth. Uh, this could be prayer cloths or faith gifts or something of that nature. I was talking to a friend of mine here in Taylorsville, and he was telling me a story. I'm not going to name the church because you may know uh, this specific individual. But he was talking to me about a man that goes to their church. And his wife had fallen ill. And had, they had had just a little bit of money. They weren't very wealthy. They, weren't, they had just a little bit of money saved up for their funerals. And that was pretty much all they had in their life savings. They were bringing in a little bit of retirement checks. Um, but she had fallen ill. She was listening to a faith healer on TV. This was in Taylorsville in our back door and she told her husband she said can we start sending him money because he said if I send him five thousand dollars that he'll heal me through faith they barely had five thousand dollars of their name so she convinced her husband to start sending this man money they wrote him a letter said we're gonna start sending you money my wife is very ill we're praying for you he sent her a letter back saying I'm praying for you when you send me the five thousand dollars she'll be healed that's what the letter said. So a couple of months into that, a couple of years later, they had sent about $3,000 to him. The wife passed away. The, the pastor in Taylorsville did the funeral. They had no money, literally no money to even bury her because they had given all their life, life savings to this man. And he said, I don't even have the money for a grave plot in your, in, your, in, your, in your cemetery. So he said, you can just pay me when you get the chance. No big deal. And so he wrote this pastor a letter, the, the man whose wife died, wrote this pastor a letter and said, my wife has finally passed, you don't have to worry about praying anymore for her. The letter that he got back was what was shocking to me. The letter he got back said, sorry to hear your wife passed, if you would have sent me the 5,000, she'd still be alive. 
that's commercialism. That's someone who's exploiting truth and is going to stand before God one day and give an account for his evil deeds because that man gave everything he had for this wonderful worker that's going to heal his wife that was just exploiting him for money. That's commercialism. That's what the Bible is saying here in 2 Peter when they're making merchandise of you. When they're making you pay them for just this obscene something may happen in the future. That's what the Bible is talking about here. It was happening in Paul's day. It's happening in our day. It's not something new. Okay, let's look at this next one. Hidden motives. Jude 4 says this. For there were certain men who crept in unawares, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of God into lasciviousness, turning the grace of God into money makers, and denying the only Lord God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I've illustrated it like this. Brody is not of age yet to really understand. He's starting to manipulate us a little bit. He's starting to get smart. Um, but I, I heard a story the other day of a little boy who came to his dad. This is a joke, so you can laugh a little bit when I get done saying it. Um, just to make me feel good, right? <clears throat> a little boy came to his dad and said, Dad, can you sign your name with your eyes closed? So the dad replied, of course, I can. And so the little boy said, good. Can you close your eyes and sign my report card? All right, got some laughing. That's good. All right, I don't like telling jokes that we don't get laughs. But that is a hidden motive. That is a motive that's going up to a dad and in a jokingly way trying to get his dad not to see the report card. We've all probably been there where we've made mistakes on the report cards. Um, but the Bible says in Matthew seven fifteen, Be aware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are raving wolves. We have to be aware. We have to understand that not everyone comes in a pure heart. And this is my biggest weakness. You can ask my wife. I am very, very easy to trust and to get burned on a lot of things. I trust people too much probably. Um, and I, I don't put enough of this guard up to be aware of things. Uh, because I'm just, if, I, if someone comes to me, I'm thinking they're coming in a good intentions. And that's my biggest downfall in, in that area. So we have to be aware of those hidden motives and the last one of this, of to be aware of false preachers and the false um, teachers, is this. They will not hear the truth. In verse 6b, the last part of verse 6, it says this. <clears throat> he that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Whether it's someone at your door, whether it's someone on TV, whether it's someone on a podcast, we have to be aware of are they hearing the truth are they accepting the truth are they taking the bible and preaching the bible as truth or are they preaching what they own their own words and saying this is truth we have to be aware of those things we have to be careful and then ultimately the last thing here we'll look at the last point third point is the courage of the believer in the midst of spiritual warfare how can we be of good courage we can have courage and we can be of good courage but how does that happen? What does that look like? How does that work in our life? Right now in Kids Connect, when we're meeting on Sunday mornings or the first Sunday of every month, we're going through the armor of God. We're talking about how we as Christians have a spiritual armor to fight a spiritual war. There's a spiritual war that's fighting daily. You can look it up in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. And it talks about how there's spiritual war fair that is going on daily and we don't really even understand what that looks like 
We don't understand how much spiritual battles happen in a church service, in our homes, in our places of work, when we're trying to talk to people. There are spiritual battles that we don't see. And in order to fight that, in order to have courage, the Apostle Paul writes this. He says that there are three things that we have to put on and three things that we have to take up. And most of you probably in here could, could, could very illiterately very talk about those things. But I want to mention it like this. And the first time I heard this was at Johnny Hunt's men's conference. It was the first time I went down to his conference. And he preached on this passage of scripture in Ephesians. And it really opened my eyes up because he said, as a person that was in war, there were three things that a Roman soldier never took off. When he was in battle, he always had his boots on, he always had his belt on, and he always had his breastplate on. Even when he was sleeping, he kept that uniform on. Because he didn't know what was going to happen at any given time in that battle when he would have to get up and go. And he would not have the amount of time to put on his breastplate, to put on his belt that held everything together and to put on his shoes. So he just slept with it on. So when Paul was saying here, put on the belt of truth, put on the breastplate of righteousness, and put on the feet shod with the preparation of the gospel, he is saying put it on and never take it off. Because we are constantly in a battle. Those three things we should always, always have on our bodies. We should always have our belt of truth on. We should always have the breastplate of righteousness. And we should always have our feet ready to tell the gospel of peace. But then he goes a step further and says we should take up daily, we should be taking up the shield of, of faith, the sword of the spirit, and the helmet of salvation. Protecting our mind, protecting our body with our shield, and ultimately having a defensive weapon of that sword, the Bible, in our lives. To have courage, to be able to stand in the day of the adversity. When, the, when Satan comes against us, when he sends his demons among us, we have that courage because we have prepared our bodies and our spiritual bodies ultimately to stand before Satan. And that's what he's talking about here. That's how we're going to know we have that courage and we can know that we have good courage. And so ultimately it boils down to two areas. The first one is we can have courage because of our relationship with God. We can say, am I saved? Am I a child of God? If I'm a child of God, then we've got courage because there is nothing greater that is going to defeat me than that's greater than Christ. If I'm a child of God. So we have that courage because we know we're saved. And ultimately the second one is we have victory. We have overcame everything and everyone because of Christ. Second, or I'm sorry, Colossians 2.15 says this. And having spooled principalities and powers... He made a show of them openly. So this is talking about Christ. He defeated the powers of principalities. He defeated Satan. And he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them. We are on the winning side. We've read the back of the book. You've heard that said your whole life. We've read the back of the book. We know we win. So why are we living a defeated life? Why are we living a life where we don't have confidence, where we don't stand up and we don't say we know what's truth? And we know what's right. And we don't stand up and say, as I said last week, you've offended my God. And we don't stand up to someone who's done something wrong and saying, you offended the almighty God who created us. We have got to get to the point where we have that courage as a believer. Um, one of the verses that, that I like, and I heard recently a song, I looked at the lyrics today, 
uh, is, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Most of you have heard that, that statement, that verse. Um, but I looked up this song the other day. I heard it. Um, and it's, bring your tired and bring your shame. Bring your guilt and your pain. Don't you know it's not your name? You will always be much more. Every day I wrestle with the voices that keep telling me I'm not right, but that's all right. Because I hear your voice, and he calls me redeemed. When others say I'll never be enough, and greater is the one living inside me than the one who's living in the world. And so, so often we get defeated because we think that Satan's won. We think that Satan has defeated us. When the Bible says, and that song very eloquently says, greater is the one that's in us than the one that's in the world. In John 16, it says, These things I have spoken unto you, that you might have peace in the world. You shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, because I have overcome the world. In the day of confusion, in our day of gender confusion, in every type of confusion that you can think of, we have to understand that we can be confident and we can take courage through Jesus Christ. Let's approach these last days. Let's approach this time. As some of us have 60 years left. Some of us only have 20 or 30 years left. But let's take the amount of time that God's got left with us and live it with discernment and live it with confidence that we can overcome this world through Christ. Not of ourselves. Not of anything that we can do, but what Christ can do through us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this message. Thank you for this thought that you've given us of through your word, ultimately, as First John wrote, as John wrote, how we can have discernment, how we can trust in you, ultimately, through everything. We love you, Father, for everything that you've done. Pray that you'll help us this week to be an example and be a witness for you. In your name we pray. Amen. You are dismissed. Thank you for coming tonight. We can have just a couple of guys very quickly tear the stage down. And I gave you back time, like I said.